Today we're reading from the book of Matthew. If you can turn in your Bibles or have a device that can point to uh, Matthew, please turn to chapter number five. Um, we're back in the in, in the rhythm of turning to the lectionary each week, and uh, we're reading the gospel text this week. Uh, we'll begin with uh, verse 13 and read through verse 20. If you're able, as you're able, would you stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word this morning? Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will, it become, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. Verse 17, don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, last week we spent a, a good deal, a, a good deal of time, a good amount of time considering and pondering this deep question: What is God's will? Do you remember that from last week? Uh, we turned to an Old Testament passage uh, in Micah for guidance and instruction. What? How are we going to figure out what God wants for us? How do we determine? What is God's will? And we received simple instructions last week. It really boiled down to one simple sentence, three simple phrases. We do justice. We love mercy. We walk humbly with God. Today, we turn to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, the lectionary gospel texts keep us in Matthew for most of this season of Epiphany, following Epiphany and leading up to Ash Wednesday, which begins the season of Lent, uh, we stay mostly in, in the Gospel of Matthew for the Gospel texts. Um, and these words from Jesus pose some more questions for us to consider uh, in our walk with God. Who are we? Who are we? And what are we to do? Uh, there's a lot of ways that people try to identify themselves uh, today. Have you noticed this? You know, some... some might, might wear a, a brand of clothing or have a team logo on a baseball cap that they, they constantly wear. Uh, the, the brand with which we present ourselves. Maybe, maybe you're the strong, silent type, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're the relational connector. Maybe you're the social butterfly that goes around uh, and connects with everyone. Maybe you're, you're a loud, expressive type of person. Um, Jesus gives us two labels. We're to be salt. We're to be light. Uh, and, and as Jesus establishes for us this question of, of who we are, we are also constantly asking the question, well, what does that mean? 
what do we do as salt and as light? Now, how do we live? What's implied? Um, for the first century Jew, uh, what was the function uh, of, of salt? Okay, so uh, kind of reminders. This, this book was written uh, late in the first century, probably um, 60, 70, 80 after uh, in, in our calendar system. Uh, we think that Jesus probably lived uh, and, and was crucified around year 30. So this is several, several years after, several decades after. And, and this was a book, um, we talked about this earlier, we, Matthew was a book that was prepared for the Jews, written for the Jews. Uh, and and as, I, as I read about the first century, and as I, as I thought about uh, what it meant to be called salt, um, three, three ideas kind of popped up. Okay? Salt represented uh, a purity. Uh, the, the color of salt, the consistency of salt, uh, brought about uh, images of purity. Salt was also used for preservation. Okay? The food that was prepared with salt and, 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 and packed with salt would be preserved. Um, and the third thing that, that salt brought up for the first century Jew was this sense of taste, this flair, this, this, uh, this spice that was accessible to people uh, who didn't have a lot, of, uh, a lot of luxury in life. Salt was something that brought taste. You know, there have been a lot of good sermons uh, that I've heard preached about this text. Salt and light. I mean, this is a really good text. This is, this is a good one. Go be salt in the world. I, my kids sometimes call me salty. Um, I'm not, you know, you send them off to school and they, they come back with these labels for you. Dad, that was kind of salty. Um, that's not the kind of salty we're talking about. We live different. We taste different to the world. I, I read one commentator who said, you know how salt makes us Thirsty, and we ought to live as a salt of the earth that make people thirsty. Thirsty for the living water that we find in Jesus Christ. Um, and and that's, a, that's a great application for, for this text. And, and then, then the text says, go be light. Go be light in this world. Don't hide your light under a vessel. Valerie this week threatened to sing, this little light of mine. She's in charge of music. She can do what she wants. We didn't sing that song. She cut it out. But uh, again, there's a, a great lesson in the message of that song. That one pinpoint of light drives away the darkness in the room. That light and darkness uh, don't coexist. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. For the light dispels the darkness and overcomes darkness. When light and darkness meet. Light wins. Go be that light, Jesus said. These are great texts that preach very easily. Um, but this week, as I, as I prepared, um, I, I spent much of Thursday and Friday this week um, with an amazing group of people at a little place called NNU, a college that's not too far away. Um, and, and we spent time talking about what it means to be the church what it means to become the body of Christ, a body of belonging. That was the theme, a body of belonging. And the tagline for the, for the conference was disability and the church. Um, and, and 
I'll be honest with you. Like, I just moved from Washington. I'm a lot closer to NNU. They have this Wesley Conference every year. Um, in other years, they had they had dug into these topics that I was really excited about, stuff like Wesleyan view of Scripture, deeper theological discussions. And I came up to this this conference, and I was I was a little hesitant, I, maybe even disappointed. I hate to say that now because it was just an incredible time, but uh, I almost didn't go um, because of because of the theme. I, w- I wasn't sure about it, um, but I ended up. I, I waited the last minute um, and, and ended up signing up for signing up for this conference. And I showed up Thursday morning. Had to get there fairly early, but I got the kids kids off to school. You know, Thursday morning and moseyed my way over to Nampa. I'm really thankful to be. So, so close and to be able to do some of these things. And from the very start, I was just captured by this idea, once again, of belonging and what it means as the church to become a body of belonging. From the very start, I was exposed to something just incredibly different, some, some very beautiful ways in which I was pushed out of my comfort zone. And just a few quick stories. One presenter uh, talked about his, uh, his young daughter who um, seven years old and she was, she was in a uh, completely unable to, to move. So she's in a chair and has to be moved uh, in that way, has no uh, verbal capacity. Um, and yet this seven-year-old has been welcomed into her church as part of the church family. Not, not, um, not like everyone's serving her, but she is literally part of the church family. Um, another presenter was this was this pastor. He was kind of this rock star pastor, liked to play electric guitar and could do the singing, and 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 was the head of this amazing church. Um, went to sleep one night and woke up the next morning incapacitated, having had a stroke, um, unable to speak, unable to talk paralyzed um, his whole body, uh, and he had regained some of his function, and yet um, as, he, as he recovered, um, he was stripped of all the things that had made him successful, and he struggled to find his place in the church. Um, and I think, how are we called to be a body of belonging in this place? Which a workshop with Dr. Uh, Roger Hahn, who's a who's a pastor in the Kansas City area. There's a lot of Nazarene pastors in the Kansas City area, um, but he has an adult child over 30 years of age who has lived with Down syndrome, um, and he talked about how he's serving as interim pastor for a church that's still looking for their senior pastor, and he says, "My son came with us and now is serving the church. He stands at the door, uh, hollers at people across the." across the church parking lot. Bill, I'm so glad you're here. And opens the door. Come on in. Come on in. Because he's part of that church. He went there to go serve that church with his dad in ways in which he could. And I was just incredibly challenged. Challenged in how I think. Challenged in in what my mind does in moments of, of relating to people. Challenged in the words that I say. The things that the, the the phrases I use to explain things, challenging what I believe, what I believe about eschatology, what will what will end times look like, what will heaven look like? Um, 
had had one person relate this story that said um, was talking to somebody that had cerebral palsy and struggled to get around it. And this person said, "I better have CP when I get to heaven. It's part of who I am." And I had never thought, I had never considered uh, what that meant. And, and, and certainly, we don't have those answers. We don't know. But for this person, it had become part of who he was. Um, I was chatting with Lynn. We just asked these questions uh, uh, throughout the weekend. Um, and, and, you know, she's like, well, did anybody say this? And I'm like, oh, that would have been a great question to ask. And I should have asked that. But I was drawn, the, the nature of this conference just drew me again towards this theology of belonging. The fact that the church has to understand itself in terms of having an empty seat at the table. That there's always an empty seat ready for someone else to come in. Ready for someone to sit down and say, I want to journey with you. I want to take a look and see what this Jesus guy is really all about. And the truth and the fact of the matter is that the first impression that they get of God, the first impression that they get of Jesus Christ, will be the people that they're sitting next to. That's you and that's me. And I was challenged. I was challenged this week. How do we continue developing a posture for our community, this place, for Mountain Home Nazarene, that invites the next person to sit in that empty chair? That is so critical for us and so, so important. And when they arrive, how do we set a culture and an attitude for them and for ourselves of belonging? How do we become a body of belonging? How do we participate in that culture? How do we ensure that they experience that when they come here? What does it mean to belong? I talked a little bit about this, um, and, and, and I'll say it again probably after today. Belonging is the opposite of fitting in. Belonging is the opposite of fitting in. And let me give you an example. Someone walks through these doors, and, and, and if they've never been here before, if this is their first time, they're looking around and they're saying, okay, they're asking themselves a list of questions. What, where should I sit? How should I act? What do I do in this moment? I've never been here before. I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to understand. I, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to stand when I'm supposed to sit. I don't want to sit when I'm supposed to stand. Tip, there's no supposed to in that department. Um, they have to ask all these questions about fitting in. What can we do? How can we act? What can we say? What's the expression on our face that we can wear that says, you belong here? You don't have to ask the questions of fitting in. And I'll tell you, it's really easy for those of us who've been going here for a long time or people who have official role. I haven't been going here a long time, but, but you're stuck with me for now. Because God's called me here. We'll put that in there. You're stuck with me for that reason. Um, and as long as God gives me the opportunity to serve. Um, but, but for those of us who've come here a long time, that we don't, we don't, Face those questions of what it's what how do we belong? Because it just kind of fits. But for someone who has just come, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It's hard work. It's tough. 
I heard a, I heard a statistic, this is a long time ago, probably 20 years when I was just breaking into full-time ministry, and, and uh, the statistic was this. I don't know its source, so I can't cite that. I apologize. But if someone comes to church and has a rough experience, it'll probably be about seven years before they try again. Unless they're relentless, unless they're, they're, it's a part of who, what their normal rhythm is. But for someone who's just trying out church for the new time, first time, if it's a rough experience, it could be seven years before they try again. It's so important, the culture that we set in this place and the attitude with which we greet people and that we say, it's okay, you can, you can, you can sit here, you can belong here and, and integrate at your own pace. It's so important. And, and, and not just for those that are, are differently abled. Uh, that's what we were encouraged to, to talk about um, uh, folks uh, in the, the people that have disabilities, uh, to call them differently abled. Um, Dr. Roger Hahn talked about, he's like, my son can do things that I can't do. His, his memory capacity is amazing. He said, he's a pastor, he was talking about how um, he was playing when he was younger um, and he overheard his son and as he was serving as pastor, he used four different liturgies for communion. And all of a sudden, he heard his son offering communion to his dolls or his trucks or the toys that he was playing with. He went through all four liturgies of communion, word for word, without any notes. As a child, he said, he's much more able at memorization than I am. He was walking through a park, and there was a, a statue of a, of a soldier that was kneeling down, praying. Um, and, and his son left his side. He's like, where, where are you going? And he had gotten down to the soldier who was kneeling and patting his cheek. And what he saw as he retrieved his son was there was a tear on this statue's cheek. And he says, my son's so much more available emotionally to read and to respond to the emotions of others than I am. I'd never seen that tear. And I certainly wouldn't have gone and patted the cheek of that soldier who was experiencing the loss that was depicted in this sculpture. And I thought, that's a great way to talk about his son, that he's differently abled. Um, but this, this sorry, that was a side sidetrack about this differently abled. Um, but but these, this sense of belonging, this need for us to create is for all who would walk through these doors. For the mom of four whose spouse is deployed, how do we ensure she belongs in this place? For the widower whose spouse of 50 years has passed away and he just needs connection, how do we ensure that he belongs? For the lonely, for the tired, for the family barely scraping by, how do we ensure they can all belong in this place? That they don't have to calculate as they walk in. They don't have to say, how do I, how do I fit in here? What should I say? How do I act? The culture of belonging is, is something we have to share. I have to make that say, statement. This is something that we have to share. It's not for one set of people, not for people who, who make sense to us, not just for the people we're comfortable around. This is for everyone. And, and we all have to be involved. Um, I can't do it alone. I can't set culture by myself, folks. The staff can't set culture by ourselves. This must become a culture thing. 
that's how it's meant to be. That's what the church is called to do. And, and, and that's what's going to take us back to our text today. When Jesus gathered up the people in Matthew 5, he wasn't gathering all the religious leaders. He didn't gather the religious experts or the lawyers who were well-versed in Judaic law and say, okay, you guys are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Who did he gather? He didn't even gather his disciples. The disciples had been following him around and begun his ministry. Uh, and, and what does it say at the beginning? He doesn't gather his disciples and say, okay, we've got this really important job. We're going to be salt. We're going to be light. The, the 13 of us, we're going to go do it and change Israel. It's not how it worked. At the beginning of chapter 5, it says the crowds came. And just in case we had any doubt that who Jesus was talking to or who the audience was, look at the end of chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, it reiterates, the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he spoke as one who had authority in their lives. Jesus said, you, you, the crowd, the whole community of faith, you are the salt of the earth. When people come here, they ought to experience us being a little salty. Not the kind my kids call me sometimes. But we ought to taste a little different, church. There should be a little kick to the taste. One, one commentary I read about talked about how it can be assumed that, that much of the common ordinary fare, much of the, the food back in those days that, that was consumed, normal folks' food was probably pretty bland. Uh, but the salt, the salt was the thing that the common person might have to add a little kick, to add a little flair to the food that was served. That's what we are. That's what we are, just that little kick, just that little flare, that salt of the earth that we ought to be, you and me, together. And not just here on Sunday. Not just here on Sunday. Our call to be salt of the earth doesn't happen just within these walls. But what about Monday? What about Tuesday? And the rest of the days of the week? We're not just the salt of the earth in this building. That's not how it's supposed to work. But every day, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's us, just ordinary, plain old us. Does your life reflect hope? Are you a light planted upon the top of a hill, at the top of a lampstand? Let me assure you of one thing. When the church is able to create a culture of belonging, it feels like light. It feels like light in a world that's gotten used to darkness, I'm afraid. It's new creation. It's the way we're supposed to live. But I'll confess, so even, even sometimes that comes, comes out wrong, but that word supposed to, we're supposed to be light. It's not supposed to like a checklist. It's not supposed to like, like it's homework. Sometimes it, it feels that way, but that, that's kind of the wrong way. How, do, how, how it most authentically happens that is, is this. We encounter God and he makes us new and we live in that awareness. We're, we're new creation folks. It's not like, oh, I forgot to be light today. <sighs> okay. I still got time. It's just the afternoon. I go home and be light for my family. And then, okay, God, I'm the light of the world. Got it done, Jesus. God has changed us. 
God has captured our hearts, captured our lives, changed us from the inside out. He says when he comes in, we become new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's not a checklist. We don't write shine a light, be on a lampstand on our to-do list. Okay, Monday, I got that. Light overcomes the darkness in our lives, and, and it just it, it leaks out on people where we go. Jesus talks about it. If, if it's on our list, then we can say, hey, look what I did today. I, I, I managed to be light today. Good job, Trent. Nice job. Instead, Jesus phrases it perfectly. What does he say? Let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and say, good job, Trent. Praise the Father. And praise the Father who's the source of our transformation, who's changed us. He says, I I used to live that way. I used to be the old creation, but Jesus has made me new. And I'm full of light. And you can't get away from it. You know some of those people. You're around them and, and, and you can't get away from it closing section of our text today really reaches out to the audience that he has been writing to in this gospel. And it sets up what he's about to do uh, in the Sermon on the Mount as we work through the rest of chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Um, someday we may go section by section through the Sermon on the Mount. That's a, that's a fun journey. It's challenging, um, but it's fun. But Matthew's audience was, again, the Jews. And the Jews have heard for decades and generations the rules of the law. They've lived under that. They, they've, they've had to live that way. Do this. Don't do this. Here's how you act in these certain situations. And in those situations, here's how you don't act. And the culture of the religious elite, the culture of the people who knew the law the best, had simply become oppressive. We've got it figured out. All you little people are trying, but we're, we're the experts in the law. And you've got to live like us. Good luck. You're not going to be perfect, but you can do your best. It had become oppressive. They knew the law, and they followed the law, and everybody knew how perfect they were. And what I fear sometimes is that's kind of how people see me. That's kind of how people view the church sometimes. Oh, they're the people that think they, they've got it all figured out. Not as salt. Not as light but as the guardians of how to act the way we're supposed to act. That doesn't sound a lot like who Jesus calls us to be. But here comes this new teacher. Here comes, here comes this new rabbi. Jews, the Jews would be familiar with, with rabbis who taught. Uh, what is odd is that by, this, that by, by trade, this guy's a carpenter. He, he hasn't studied the law. He hasn't been gone through rabbi training but Jesus comes, and, and, and he's followed around by some guys that smell like fish a little bit still, and a tax collector who all the Jews really didn't like, and a zealot, and, and all these, this mishmash, odd mishmash of people. And what's really odd is the simplicity of these opening lines of this message, this address to the crowds, go be salt. You are, not not go be salt, you are the salt of the earth. Let me identify for you who you are. You are 
the light of the world, one that shines and provides light to the whole house. I think the Jews were caught a little off guard, like, these aren't the rules we're used to. This isn't what we've heard. This isn't how it's been presented. I think you've got it wrong. You're a carpenter. We'll give you a pass. You don't know what you're talking about. Where, where, where are the guards? Sometimes it's easier to live with rules. Sometimes it's easier to live with guardrails. Just tell me where I'm supposed to be, and I can follow that path. Jesus made it trickier than that. He said, go be salt. You are the light. And Jesus says this, I didn't come to abolish that law. I didn't come to abolish the guardrails, what you've heard your whole life. Instead, what we have to do is capture the heart of what those laws were about. Capture the heart of what the prophets meant when they spoke for Christ, when they spoke for God to the people of Israel. He says, I haven't come to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. I've talked about him several times today. Roger Hahn takes that word and flip-flops it. He says, perhaps it's better translated to fill full the law and the prophets. That it's not so much about following the rules and doing this and not doing that, but to fill it full with the heart and the spirit of Christ who calls us to a new way of living. To fill it full. Nothing's eliminated, but it gets to the heart. And what does Jesus do? Go through the Sermon of the Mount. He he starts the you have heard it said of Matthew five through seven. If you want, if you want a quick study about what the heart and essence of, of what the the Sermon on the Mount is all about, look for that phrase, you have heard it said. Heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say, don't call someone a fool in contempt. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I've said, I say, don't lust. You've heard eye for an eye. Let me offer a new modus operandi. Turn the other cheek. You've heard give to the needy. And you kind of do it for show. Let me tell you, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We have this new understanding of what it means to obey the law and the prophets because of our heart change, not because I'm just following the rules. And the question stands for us today. Will you make that commitment? Will you offer your life to the identity that Christ gives us? I choose to be salt. I choose to be light. It starts right here and setting a culture of belonging, one that spills out of this church like a beacon of light into the community, a culture where we do everything we can to help people know they don't have to fit in with us. They are welcome as they are. Welcome as they are here and welcome as they are in our community. And we are salt and we are light. Let me invite the praise team up today. Uh, just as we close, maybe today you realize that that as as part of the culture of this place, you have this calling to set this culture of belonging for our church family. And today you say, that's me. I'm in. Pastor Trent, I'm in. Christ, I'm in. Let me be salt and light in this place. Or maybe today you feel like something's gone routine for you. 
in your prayer is simply this, Lord, set me free to be that light that shines. Not a, not a checklist, not because I'm supposed to, but because you have transformed me from the inside out and I want to live as light in the world today. Today I pray that God might enable us each day to live as salt of the earth and as a light to the world. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. God, thank you for today. Thank you for what you call us to, which is a life that's extraordinary, a life that that challenges us to become new creation, to live into what you have for us today. I'm so grateful for this community of faith. I'm so grateful for these people. And as we as we live, as we as we go throughout our weeks this week, would you make us salt? Would you make us light? Would you remind us of the call that you've placed on our lives? We're so grateful for the transformation that you bring. We ask that you would help us to live into that transformed life each day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. May you lead us to where you would have us, and may we be sensitive to that leading, not ignoring it, not pushing it away, but receiving it, we pray in Christ's name. Would you extend your hands this uh, this morning as, we, as I offer this benediction? We extend our hands just as a symbol to receive it from God. As Christ encourages us to do, may we live as salt that never loses its saltiness. And may we shine as a light for Christ, never hidden and never extinguished. Go in the love of Christ.